Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. If I have to start from nothing today, or work for the government or some charity, I will give exactly the same. There is no trick other than Hard work, creativity, care, and recognizing that duty is more important than love. I was tortured and beaten up, sentenced to death as a spy. The booming voice of Robert Maxwell, a media monster, a bully. A crook. A robber baron whose mysterious death at sea sank his publishing empire. From billionaire to bankrupt, his life is a roller coaster story. From poverty to parliament and self proclaimed war hero to fraudster on an industrial scale. 30 years after he died, the Maxwell name is back in the news. This time, his daughter Ghislaine for sex crimes with her former boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein. In this series, the story you're about to hear has never been told before in this way. In 1984, George Galloway was physically attacked by Robert Maxwell while filming at BBC Television Centre in London. He was a giant. I mean, he was very tall, uh, but he was also by then enormously fat which meant that it looked like a a grizzly bear uh, advancing towards me and punches me with these giant fists, like sides of ham, right in the solar plexus, so hard that I literally bent double. And when I straightened up again, I, I literally had tears in my eyes. These accounts will shock you to the core including how Maxwell used his lawyers to muzzle the media over his involvement in supplying sophisticated weapons to Israel. And how George used parliamentary privilege to allow newspapers to report the allegations, which infuriated Maxwell, driving him to desperate measures for revenge. Every one of his papers, the Daily Mirror, then following the Sunday Mirror, the Sunday People, the Daily Record, then a few days later, the Sunday Mail in Scotland, even the European, which he then owned, all pissed over Galloway. Asking the questions, Ron Mackay. 
His pension, along with thousands of others, was stolen by the man dubbed the Bouncing Check. You'll hear how he met Bob Maxwell as a journalist and experienced his ruthless and divisive methods firsthand. I can't describe what it was like. And every night, presumably, when he had a drink in him, he would boom over the tannoy about the the, 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 the cretins, the fools, the, the people who were opposing his methods and his salvation of the newspaper. And of course, he didn't come up. The, the majority of the workforce believed that he would take it over and their jobs would be secure. But of course he didn't. He just disappeared. But first, let's start at the beginning. George picks up the story now of that infamous moment he met Bob Maxwell for the first time in a TV studio green room. Actually, my war with Robert Maxwell was uh, violent metaphorically throughout, but you're right. The first time I met him, it was physically violent. Uh, I mean, I'd known of him for a long time and had a poor view of him for a long time. He was a Labour MP. Uh, 1966 to 70, and uh, I, I viewed him as a as a monster. But then, in 1984, uh, in the middle of the miners' strike, uh, the great miners' strike, which lasted an entire year, one of the biggest industrial disputes ever uh, in the world, and I was an honorary member of the National Union of Mine Workers. I was active every day in the strike. Suddenly I get the call uh, in 1984 to be on what was then the BBC's flagship program, Question Time, uh, every Thursday night. I think a couple of million people at least tuned in to uh, Question Time. Certainly anecdotally, uh, people would talk about it uh, every week. It was a water cooler type show. Then it's a pale shadow of itself now, but I got the call to appear on Question Time. It was my very first appearance there. I was not an MP, uh, but I was by then living and working in London. I got the call to be on. I was sufficiently pleased to have been invited. I didn't actually ask who else was on the show. Uh, so I turned up at the Shepherd's Bush uh, theatre, uh, BBC television uh, theatre. I'm not sure if it's in Wood Lane. That certainly rings a, a bell a little. Anyway, I turn up there. I'm shown into the green room where some grandees are gathered around the bow-tied Robin Day, who, uh, for younger viewers and listeners, was the big television personality on the BBC at that time, uh, slightly eccentric, upper-class Englishman. I see him. I see some grandees around him, Mrs. Thatcher's uh, uh, minister, cabinet minister, Lord Young, who was a big figure in the 1980s. Sure. Uh, Polly Toynbee, the grand dame still going. Uh, of centrist politics and still going. In fact, she and I are the only uh, ones of this collection that are still going. Um, and 
I come in to go and make myself known to Robin Day, when I spot a man wearing a white jacket, though he didn't wear that on the show, he changed before the show, but wearing a white jacket, and I see immediately that it's Robert Maxwell advancing towards me. Now, again, for those that didn't know Maxwell, he was a giant. I mean, he was very tall, uh, but he was also by then enormously fat, which meant that it looked like a, a grizzly bear uh, advancing towards me. And he booms because he never spoke, he boomed. Ah, Mr. Galway, Sikh. Mr. Galway, the PLO man and punches me with these giant fists, like sides of ham, <laughs> right in the solar plexus, so hard that I literally bent double. And when I straightened up again, I, I literally had tears in my eyes. I was speechless, not least because I was breathless, uh, but speechless that such a thing could happen in the green room of the BBC just prior to their flagship program. To my astonishment, nobody else said anything, though all of them had seen it. Nobody intervened. No. That's the, the history, the story of Robert Maxwell, isn't it? Uh, it, it is actually, in a way. Uh, it certainly took the breath away from many people, as well as other things. Uh, but his violence prior to uh, an important television broadcast, with the establishment saying nothing, you're right, is a metaphor for the Robert Maxwell story. So that was the beginning of my war with Robert Maxwell. As I say, it never got physically violent again, but it was bloody nonetheless. Did he say anything after that? Did anybody try and broker no, a peace? Uh, literally, no one said a word. And therefore, I'm now standing in this company with tears in my eyes. I'm, by the way, uh, exactly 30 years old at the time in my first big television broadcast, uh, you know, daunting enough without that beginning. As it happened, when we got onto the show and started filming, the miners' strike dominated the show. At one point, Maxwell threatened uh, or called for the government to threaten uh, with shooting the miners on strike, the picketers. Uh, he said, we, we, we may have to resort to shooting them. All the while saying he was the man to solve this strike, he uh, punted himself as the proprietor of the then mighty Daily Mirror, not so much now. Uh, he was going to solve this strike, but he was so het up in the course of the cut and thrust of the show that he actually said that we needed to threaten with shooting the British mine workers. Did anything happen in the green room afterwards? Did he stay? Did you talk to uh, him? He stayed, uh, but I didn't because he was there. Uh, so uh, I remember being in makeup with uh, Lord Young, not sure if he's still alive, but I was in makeup with Lord Young, and it was left to me to say to Young, 
Well, that was uh, uh, an extraordinary introduction uh, from uh, Maxwell. And he replied, oh, yes, he didn't even get your name right. He thought it was a joke. Uh, and of course, he didn't get my name right, but that was the least of the offence. <laughs> your next encounter with Maxwell came later than that. Yeah. Um... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I should explain that from 1983, uh, for a period of about 10 years, I was working for the satirical British magazine, Private Eye. I wasn't on the staff, but I was a paid uh, writer uh, for the paper, and Private Eye had played a magnificent role in goading and exposing the monster that was Robert Maxwell. Yeah, they were first to call him the bouncing check. The bouncing check, coming as he did from Czechoslovakia. Uh, in, uh, in, in, he was the, the, the bouncing check for them always, which turned out, again, to have been extraordinarily prescient because he bounced many checks, including your own <laughs> pension uh, check. Maybe we'll come on to that later. But so uh, from the moment that he struck me that blow, I got into the fight against Robert Maxwell through Private Eye with greater vigor, as you can imagine. Uh, I was constantly looking for stories, chipping in bits of information, and Private Eye conducted a magnificent guerrilla action against Robert Maxwell right up until the end. Uh, so the next set-piece battle, if you like, I should explain that I had come to London from Scotland in 1983 as the head of an aid agency, an aid agency that was founded by the late Harold Wilson, the Labour Prime Minister in the 1960s and 70s. So it was very closely identified with the Labour movement, the party and the unions and so on. So I'm now uh, living in London, working for Private Eye, trying to uh, get my own back on Robert Maxwell, in the public interest, of course. Um, and at that time, we had reached agreement with Neil Kinnock's office. Neil Kinnock was the leader of the Labour Party at that time, from 1983 until 1992. Uh, and his chief of staff 
was a man called Dr. John Reed, uh, a one-time communist, hardline communist, transformed into war minister for Tony Blair later. But at that time, he was the chief of staff of Neil Kinnock. I knew him well. I'd known him when he was a communist, never mind chief of staff to the Labour leader. And I had good relations with him. So I was working out the modalities of a trip to Africa for Neil Kinnock so that he could learn about development issues, about the political military situation, the Horn of Africa, for example, in Ethiopia. And we were going to fund this trip. And that was a big deal for us. Uh, but it turned out not to be a big deal for him because once plans had been laid, I was going to be traveling with him. Once plans had been laid extensively, intensively, John Reed called me up one day and said, we won't need your money anymore because Bob Maxwell is going to pay for the whole trip. I was crestfallen, of course. It was an opportunity lost for us in terms of building our brand and our position, cementing our position as, as it were, the development arm of the labor side of politics in Britain. Uh, but of course, I immediately saw that it was a private eye story. So I passed the story on to Private Eye, who duly published it, adding uh, the extraneous detail, not a dishonorable detail, and I'm certain not an untruthful detail, but crucially a detail that could not be proved into the story. So I wrote up the story, and in the Private Eye office, it was added that Bob Maxwell had done this, in order to obtain a peerage. Now, I'm perfectly sure that he did. He would have <laughs> always wanted a peerage, uh, but we, crucially, could not prove that. He said he, he had done it for entirely altruistic reasons, because of his love of the poor Africans. Um, and but so of, when of this story he was, appeared, he sued. Of course, and he was the most litigious man going. He yeah. was issuing writs every week. Yeah, it, it's difficult to overstate that point um, because, again, back in the 1980s, not only was London the libel capital of the world, which it probably still is, mm -hmm. but crucially, damages were astronomical. I mean, it was nothing actually to win a million, two million, three million at 1980s prices in one of these libel cases. So people routinely uh, sued, uh, and it was uh, kind of, you know, an, a lottery. If you won, you really won uh, big. Uh, but he was the king of litigants. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he terrorized everyone into not speaking against him for fear of litigation. That's probably why the establishment flunkies were all silent when they saw him punching me in the stomach. Uh, people had gotten used to not speaking out about Robert Maxwell because he was A, powerful, and B, extraordinarily litigious. So there's now the private eye didn't back down. Maxwell didn't back down. 
it ends up in the High Court in what was for the time one of the biggest and most widely noticed, publicized libel actions of the era, and there had been many. In it, Maxwell deployed to the ultimate all of his ruthless mendacity. I mean, it was a performance uh, to be uh, savored. Uh, he, he, he had long lied about his own life, and in particular, the tear-jerking parts of his own life, and I still hear them repeated now in mitigation of Ghislaine Maxwell, for example, that he had, uh, he'd been sentenced to death by the Nazi occupiers of his uh, homeland at the age of 16, that the French ambassador had intervened to save his life. So the Nazis sent him to another court and he overpowered either four or three or two or one guard who had one leg or one arm. The story <laughs> kept changing. And he was handcuffed, but a gypsy under a bridge. A gypsy under a bridge broke his handcuffs open and he managed to make his yeah. way to the uh, bath. All of that was utter invention, but he deployed it in the court. And he the, appeared, did he? he? He appeared at length, and it was uh, the origin of the private eye story, with uh, a private eye phrase, which I still love, use, takes onion from pocket <laughs> in handkerchief, puts it to the nose, and tears inevitably follow. And he wept in the dock, most powerfully uh, in, and effectively. But here's the point. I was by then not just the head of an aid agency, but a Labour candidate in the forthcoming election in 1987. And Neil Kinnock was in the frame in this libel case. So it was potentially very damaging to me for the origin of this story to be revealed. And true to journalistic and noble tradition, the editor, uh, Richard Ingrams refused to divulge my name. Actually, by a whole means of other moves, it was quite clear that it was me, but he never meant he never revealed my name. And thus, my relationship with Neil Kinnock, hitherto very warm, to the point that he invited me to stay in his home in Ealing when I was looking for a house in London, was destroyed. Uh, he never spoke to me again after that case. But because my name wasn't revealed, he couldn't remove me as a Labour candidate. But at one point, Richard Ingrams was threatened with imprisonment if he did not reveal my name. And like the true English gentleman that he is, he steadfastly refused to do so, even on pain of going to prison. So Maxwell won that case. Richard Ingrams gave me a signed copy of the front page uh, to Deep McThroat, <laughs> signed Richard Ingrams. So he didn't, Richard didn't hold it against me. I mean, he could hardly, it was a good story and I was accurate in what I had written. Um, but this meant that our war against Robert Maxwell was really on now. 
the Iran uh, uh, a public appeal to pay its legal costs, which was very successful. I think we raised at least what we uh, were cost uh, in the in the case, but it meant that all of us were more determined than ever to get our own back on Robert Maxwell. All this time, by the way, he had been on a rake's progress, including stealing your pension, buying the Scottish Daily News, buying the Scottish Daily Record. There was a strike of the journalists there. I was stood on the picket line. He put up barbed wire around the uh, Scottish Daily Record. I remember well standing against that barbed wire. He became more and more and more monstrous. Uh, and then the day came, which I'm sure you'll come to, when I got my big opportunity and then played a part in the actual downfall of Robert Maxwell. Next time, Bob Maxwell trained his guns on Galloway. They accused me of being uh, lower than a louse, a scavenger in a dung heap, a friend of Arab terrorists, there was no insult that they spared. So I immediately issued a writ for libel against all of them. You've been listening to Maxwell the Monster with George Galloway and Ron Mackay. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.